This is Marco Reus and you're listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. Welcome to episode 304 of the Yellow World Pod. I'm your host, Stefan Butzko, and today we talk about the the battle that was the Friday night game against Paderborn. Watzke's setting an ultimatum for Lucien Favre, maybe, who knows, we'll discuss that. And we will preview the upcoming Champions League clash away to Barcelona at the Camp Nou. And for all that and more, joins me once again, Matthias Zuck. Hello, Matthias. It's good to have you back. Hello, Stefan. It's good to be back. How are you doing today? I'm pretty good because yesterday my wife and I went to the Christmas market in Philadelphia and believe it or not, there's an actual bratwurst stand. I know. Which, with where you can get actual bratwurst and not some uh, pathetic excuse for bratwurst that you otherwise get in, in these uh, coordinates. So I'm, I'm, I'm very happy and upbeat right now. Um, but that is about to fade because we will talk about Borussia Dortmund now. Um, but, um, Matthias, before I introduce the next panelist, um, that prediction you made, I think it was 5-1. Uh, hey, wasn't all that I, accurate, I got, hey, I got the amount of goals right. Okay. That's all that matters. I got the amount of goals right. So shut up. Leave me alone. <laughs> all right. It's not that I did much better. So, um, here to scold us now is uh, Lars Palman. Hello, Lars. How are you doing? It's good to have you back. I mean, it wasn't my fault that I've not been on the show for quite some time now, Stefan. If we like to think back to the episode 300, ne that never was. So <laughs> I think uh, I actually was on the last time for the Barca preview of the first match, if that's to be believed. So yes, it's good to be back. Well, I my my memory doesn't work in, in in such ways that I could remember. But um, either way, I'm glad you're back, so we can now discuss all the uh, goodies in front of us, which is a lot. But before we do that, I am very happy to announce that this episode is sponsored and brought to you by Pontus Lind, who has contributed on our Patreon page and he wants a shout out to Schwedische Borussen so all the Borussen in Sweden please be greeted I don't know if that's a fan club or not but if it is uh, please find their Facebook page and then we have Sean Martis who is a Borussia Dortmund fan from California I believe and he is telling me that he is moving to North Hollywood very soon and is looking for fellow BVB fans so any Dortmund fans out there in Northern Hollywood or that area, please reach out to Sean Martis. As always, contacts will be in the show notes. So um, that is all the positivity I have because now we have to move on to that 3-3 draw against Paderborn on Friday night, a game where I thought it should at least be a sort of easy win. You know, on, on paper, it's uh, probably the easiest Bundesliga game 
of the season, if you will. Um, but that turned out to be a false observation, prediction, whatever. Um, Lars, I know you didn't watch it live, so um, that means you had all the emotions yanked out of that game for yourself. So please tell me um, what went wrong in this first half and overall in, in 90 minutes. And please go as long as you must. That's what she said. Um, I mean, all the emotions, because I'm the, the emotional watcher of these games, obviously. Uh, to be honest, I thought uh, knowing about the result and reading up on you know other people's opinions, I, I thought it was going to be worse, actually, when I watched the game on Sunday uh, afternoon. Uh, I, I actually don't think it was too, you know, terrible in most instances outside of the three goals, obviously. I mean, you can't concede three goals against uh, the, the bottom side in the Bundesliga, but um, those were kind of singular instances, I would say. I don't, I don't think that Paderborn were, you know, bossing the game or putting it to Dortmund over the, the course of the 45 minutes. Um, it was more, you know, an instance of a perfect storm for Paderborn, perhaps, with, you know, uh, Farfoot going without a kanji for the first time in eons and then not going with an actual center back, uh, but Julian Weigel, who uh, lost every sprinting duel there was to be lost. Um, the same goes for, which is even, or which is far less, uh, or far more surprising for Nico Schulz for the first goal, because You know, running is the one thing that even a, a player in absolutely bad form should still be able to do if he's fast. And, you know, Nico Schulz is pretty fast. There's no reason for him to lose that, that sprinting duel with, I think, Kai Pröger, uh, on, on Dortmund's left side for the first goal. So I think honestly, outside of, of conceding the three goals, I don't think it was an, uh, a horrific performance necessarily. I mean, it certainly wasn't good and certainly the amount of mistakes uh, they've made over the last few weeks, um, you, you would hope that against Paderborn, who from uh, a from an individual talent standpoint are probably the worst team in the Bundesliga, as you kind of alluded to, you would hope that you don't make those mistakes against this level of opposition But, you know, it, it happened, so um, it, it certainly seems like uh, that there were some fundamental issues, but, you know, those were kind of used in the perfect way for Paderborn, who, and, and I, I will say this much about them, I think, even though obviously they are talent deficient in terms of the opposition in the Bundesliga, Dortmund are going to face, I think, from a tactical plan standpoint and and from the idea that team uh, tries to follow on the pitch i didn't feel going into this game that it was this was going to be you know a a perfect opponent for dortmund to get that easy win that kind of maybe propels things you know for the stretch run of the hinrunde i think uh, given their uh, attacking talent even if it's not great players they are still you know very good in counterattacking and It's it's a brave team following a brave approach, probably because they all know they are going to get relegated at the end of the season. So, you know, they want to have fun for 34 match days instead of, you know, just dreading what's 
very likely to happen at the end of the season. So I didn't feel going into this game that this was like a you know a great opponent for Dortmund to get their mojo back, if that makes sense. So I mean, obviously, I was still surprised reading uh, during the first half. You know, it's one nil for Paderborn, two nil for Paderborn, three nil for Paderborn. But I certainly didn't go into it with the expectation that you know Matthias had of of an easy as you like win. Well, Matthias, defend yourself. <laughs> um, well, I mean, we've seen um, Dortmund even over the last two seasons, take opponents apart that had a more naive attacking approach um, against them. It's it's happened a few times. I I was hoping it would happen now. I mean, even thinking back to the performances Paderborn had against the likes of Schalke and Hoffenheim. Um, what I didn't foresee was what Lars already mentioned, the fact that of all of the pairings at central defense, the la the one that didn't even cross my mind was Hummels and Weiger, to be honest. I just it it didn't even enter the stratosphere of my brain. Uh because why would you put your slowest center back pairing against a side that is purely built upon trying to use speed. It's, it's kind of like anybody who tried that against Darmstadt back in the day, a few years ago, they would get burned that way. And that first goal with Nico Schulz, the problem you have there isn't necessarily that Kai Brugge is faster than Nico Schulz, but Nico Schulz is just not a good defender. Um, the way he approached Kai Brugge was so naive and so reckless that once he got to him, he actually was a couple of steps past Brugge when Brugge got the ball. So his positioning was so bad and his body was positioned up the field, not sideways or back towards his own goal, that he had no chance. And that's why Pluga was essentially, by the end of it, what, roughly two meters, a meter and a half past him, just because Nico Schulz's defensive positioning was so horrendously bad when he approached him that he just got turned. And in a way that you cannot let yourself get turned in, in a moment like that. And then the other ones, like La said, uh, Weigel is just really, really slow. So it, it was just, I didn't, I didn't expect that. When I saw it was Weigel and Hummels, I remember looking at it and go, huh, well, that's different. Didn't see that one coming. And then the first long ball that wasn't even a goal, I went, Oh crap. This is, this, this could be a huge problem. And sure enough, it turned out to be a disastrous problem in the first half, and Dortmund had all the work to do. I mean, yeah, looking back at it, and I did subject myself to watching it a second time, <laughs> uh, just to take my own anger out of it, like you mentioned. Uh, I agree with Lars, it wasn't all that bad. It wasn't good, and the big problem Dortmund had, again, was they'd pass it, they'd go out wide, and then they didn't go anywhere with it like they would just stand around i remember one one scene in particular where guerrero just stood there and he was pointing to his teammates like do something go somewhere move somewhere so we have outlets 
to pass to, and it just didn't exist. And in the second half, obviously, that was completely different. That was a, it was like the first half didn't happen. Um, and so that's – I forget who it was. I think it was Stefan Usfeld maybe on Twitter. He said, you know, I wasn't angry in the first half, but now that I see what they're capable of in the second half, now I'm pissed off. And I think that kind of – that 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 made – at least me, it angered me as well where it's like, where the hell was that in the first half? So that for me is the one of the big question marks coming out of this match. Yeah, I I guess so. Um, if if you want to talk about the motivational issues this team apparently has, because um, th- there was definitely quite the significant difference in the, in the third half. Um, Lars, do you do you have a more in depth explanation for why Dortmund were without a shot on target in the first half? And uh, I can't really recollect a big chance i i think they they had a couple of shots that went wide but nothing where i would jump out of the seat and and say oh well this will have a expected goal value of two point something or so um do, do you have an explanation for that and and why that changed in the second half and do you think it's just about the substitutions that Favre made and uh also while you edit i know it's it's going to be a long list but uh in the in the pre-pod, you were already, you know, not very satisfied with Motherhood. So please expand on that too. Well, I think uh, first of all, you know, I think we have to give props to uh, Paderborn's defensive effort in the first half. I think they did excellent. Um, they built those two uh, four-man lines, which you know is is a pretty brave approach against the team on paper as dangerous as Dortmund are. I mean, we've seen so many, let's let's face it, kind of bad teams uh, come into Dortmund and sit back with five or six defenders and uh, Paderborn didn't really do that. So they, they, they had brilliant distance control between the lines. They didn't allow uh, Royce and even Alcázar when he dropped deeper uh, to have any, you know, material impact on the game. So, as Matthias said, it was kind of, for the most part, most of the same. Uh, one of the central midfielders, most of the time Witzel, but at times Dahoud dropping a bit deeper. Um, and then the ball going out wide, typically to Guerrero, who I think was the only one in the first half who at least tried to do something, even though most of it didn't come on. Probably nothing came off it. Um, so, you know, the ball was <clears throat> outside, the, the, the center was covered pretty well. And uh, I mean, we don't have to talk about Dortmund's lack of uh, a target player for, you know, speculative crosses from the halfway uh, point of, you know, the, the opponent ha- opponent's half. So uh, there was just not many, there weren't many openings for Dortmund to do anything with and Obviously, that's also down to, you know, slow progression of the ball, which has been a problem for the better part of 2019 and not only this season. Uh, the positional play, you know, too little movement, not very, not, not a lot of things, you know, going forward for Dortmund happening at high speed outside of counterattacks, which, you know, Paderborn didn't give them too many off. So, um, I, I would say that Paderborn defended very well and Dortmund just, you know, didn't, 
didn't do the things you need to do to you know counter that so to speak um as for Dahoud, i mean he i i like many others i thought he deserves more chances than he's gotten uh, this season i think for example against bremen he did pretty well what but was subbed off after like 60 minutes if i'm not mistaken so uh you would think it makes sense to play him in a game against a side like Paderborn where you can expect to have, you know, two thirds of possession or even more. And I think they did have without, you know, checking the actual numbers. But, you know, uh, with Paderborn defending well in their pretty solid structure, I think Dahoud just didn't have it in him, um, to, you know, make things happen between the lines to, uh, maybe, uh, perform an overload to help out on the sides to come close as an as a pass receiver so the, the only thing that worked even halfway decently with him was when he instead of Witzel dropped deep to receive balls so uh that that's on the ball and I mean the entire team pretty much didn't play well on the ball so I'm not going to knock him too much but when you see his lack of defensive effort in in some of these situations I think before the first goal uh He's the one completely out of position in the first place, then getting into the duel, but, you know, trying to, I don't know what he tried to do. Uh, it, it was basically uh, a bodiless attempt to win the ball of who, who, whichever Paderborn player played the pass to Pröger. I mean, uh, knowing a thing or two about Paderborn, which I'm sure Farfa prepared them for uh, their their prowess in counterattacks and whatnot i mean even if it's after five minutes if you don't get into the duel correctly just take the foul and and even if it's a yellow i mean that's that's worth not going behind against paderborn which is exactly what happened so i think as always with the hood it seems like there's a larger issue and and this not being a an, an isolated incident but rather you know a sign of perhaps a, a bit of you know, a lacking game intelligence, if that makes sense. I mean, uh, if, if you look at him purely from a talent standpoint, there's no reason he's not a regular starter for Dortmund and indeed Germany at this point, because he, he has it all, but he, he just does not put it together over any kind of consistent basis, uh, for even at back at Gladbach and, and now certainly at Dortmund. So he's, he's kind of the ultimate tease, I would say, in the Dortmund squad, you know, the, the kind of player they absolutely need. The, the belated Ilka Gundwan replacement, if you like, but, you know, just not giving it on a consistent basis, giving back the, the, the sparse opportunities he's getting. Yeah, I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head there with Dahoud. I, I think that's a very comprehensive analysis uh, of his, yeah, I guess extended period now uh, since he joined Dortmund. Um, uh, yeah, to me that describes it really well. Um, overall, I once again was pretty annoyed, especially in the first half with the pressing. I think Sebastian Wessling um, tweeted about it too, that uh, you see the first three players leading the line attack and then you have a gaping hole or or, or whatever. Um, you know, it's something that you've read and, s and seen so many games now. Um, and it's, to me, it's just very annoying. Um, I couldn't independently, independently confirm whether Marco Royce actually said that 
uh, after the game that we don't know how to press. I don't know if if you could that. Uh, I think he said that to the zone. Um, but um, you know, it was just one quote out of a longer interview, but uh, it it went semi-viral on on, on Twitter. Um, because you know it's it's quite significant if Marco Roy says it and uh, if if he said it. <laughs> And uh, sort of very re revealing because Mark Royce obviously has been part of teams that knew how to press. And even if he didn't say it, I still have to agree because this Dortmund side right now does not look like a team that knows how to press, that knows uh, what triggers they're pressing, where to set pressing traps and, and uh, collectively um, move around. And then, of course, you always have that problem. Even if they knew how to press, they have this slow-ass... Uh, central defensive partnership with Hummels and Weigel that even if you press well and, and press high, then uh, you might push beyond the halfway line and then uh, Mamba or whoever, Proger or Holtmann, just have to wait and, and for one long ball. And, you know, it's it's very easy then to score in Dortmund. So overall, the, the setup from Dortmund just wasn't really good at what they were trying to do. To be honest, so um, yeah, the uh, addition of Weigel next to Hummels against a, a team that pretty much only has a counter attack as their weapon uh, was a bit of a head scratcher. Uh, I'm not going to lie. Um, Matthias, is is this something that Favre can fix? That Dortmund press as they do, uh, which to me is is not up to the standard where I would want it to be. So there are a few things there. Uh, you know, I saw, um, uh, first of all, I agree 100% with Lars and my, uh, when it comes to Tahut, and I'm personally done with him. He I just as soon never see him in a match day squad again. Uh, I've <laughs> moved on. I have moved on and will not give him the benefit of the doubt anymore. So as far as what, what Marco Roy said in terms of, uh, not knowing how to press, Obviously, like you said, that went viral and on Twitter, people are like, oh, you know, Favre, he doesn't know how to teach these guys how to press. They know how to freaking press. Okay. They've done it before. In fact, they did it in the second half. I think what Michael Royce was more trying to say is that they were just, it's not that they weren't prepared, not that they haven't been taught uh, how to do it, when to do it, and so on. It's just, I don't know if there's a mental block with too many of these players where they just just won't they just decide not to or they they don't know how exactly when it comes to that situation and as we all know you can't just have one player press because if one player presses everything opens up and you're going to get carved open so the whole team has to press so even if Marco Royce and Paco know what they want to do in a press if the five, six other people around them are doing it effectively, then them doing it is even more of a disaster. Um, so it's hard from the outside looking in because I'm not at the training sessions. I don't know what they work on. I don't know what they're saying behind closed doors tactically. But in the second half, they pressed. They pressed the hell out of them. And they were able to do the things that we were kind of expecting. That's what you expect from Dortmund, to be that dominant and overwhelming and suffocating. I mean, they suffocated Paderborn in the second half, also partly because Paderborn were completely tired if you get down to the last 15, 20 minutes. Uh, but they suffocated them. And that's 
That's the thing I don't understand. Where's that disconnect first half to second half that we've seen that pattern that we've seen play out a few too many times this season? Is that a a decision made by Fava where he's like, we want to conserve energy because we know long term through the course of 90 minutes, the other team will tire themselves out. Look at Klappach. And then we can spring into action and suffocate them and play full energy and get players on there with full energy and do something. That's, that's an approach you can take. Um, it can, it can work and it did a few times, but it can also miraculously misfire. If on top of that, like you said, you decide to put Homens and Weigel as your center back partnership against a team that's built for speed and counterattack. So, I think there's a the blame can be equally shifted between players who just wouldn't move and seem to have some kind of mentality block as far as just turn up and win. Uh, and then uh, coaching and tactically that as far as we can only assume there that, that this is part of the game plan. I don't know how else to explain it, even though Favre has a few times said, Hey, this isn't what I told them to do. I basically wanted the higher energy. And I remember even Peter Stöger said similar things. Well, this isn't what we wanted to do. We wanted to press more. Bosch even said that a few times. I remember Tuchel saying it once or twice. So the question you have is, is is it now a tactical issue with the coach? Or is it the players are making the decisions themselves whether or not they do or don't? I don't know. I mean, maybe... Maybe one of you has the better, deeper insight into that, uh, or if we're all just guessing. I, I do not. So, Lars, if, if you have anything to say, please go ahead. I mean, uh, it seems a bit far-fetched when you look at, you know, the personnel turnover over the last few years. I mean, which of these outfield players actually played under Tuchel? Uh, I, I, I mean, Royce did. So we can blame it all on Royce. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> to be fair, I think Marco Reus has probably been the biggest single disappointment in Dortmund's campaign, uh, you know, uh, from from a player perspective. So uh, he deserves definitely some level of blame that he's not getting at the moment because right now and for a few weeks, actually, uh, Marco Reus, uh, his best position has been on the microphone and not on the pitch. So that's not great, even if, you know, his second half was pretty good and he got the all important you know, question mark uh, a three three equalizer uh, against Paderborn. I think he certainly not played to the to the standards that obviously he has set for himself, but also of the standards you expect from Dortmund's captain, Germany's footballer of the year, and generally considered to be one of the two or three best attacking players in the Bundesliga. Yeah, I think I would actually agree with that sentiment, um, even though that does not really explain. Matthias' question, I do think that Marco Reus also needs to work on his body language and his own pressing energy, whatever you want to call it. I, I think um, that... <laughs> and I don't have any evidence to show whether my ob observation is correct or not, but I feel like he sometimes only starts to quote-unquote work on the football field when the result says it so basically when it's still scoreless or so he sometimes lo looks a bit lackadaisical and uh only really starts going uh when Dortmund fall behind or whatever um sometimes I wish there would be more um 
yeah, just more of an initiative from from himself. I don't I don't know if I'm if I'm right with that or if it's just my own perception. No idea, but but that's what what I think. So um yeah, it's it's a bit annoying to be honest. Um, but what also had obviously um what with what I think was a new club record. I've I've read it somewhere, but I haven't confirmed it. Um, that Dortmund trailed for the first time at home in the Bundesliga uh, by three goals. Is that correct? I don't know. Um, but no, at least no, that's... no, they, they, it was the second fastest they've trailed, uh, trailed ah. three goals at home. Uh, okay, after, so that was after like three minutes uh, after a Leverkusen game some decades ago, which actually also ended in three three. Huh. Well, so you're saying Dortmund should always hurry up to concede three goals so they don't lose. Um, that is obviously a brilliant game plan. So, um, yeah, Matthias, what did change then um, with the second half? Um, what did, uh, I think it was Hakimi, Brandt and then Hazard all coming on in the space of uh, five minutes. I think Hakimi and Brandt came on right away and then later Hazard for, was it Alcacer? I'm not, I'm not entirely sure uh what the what the uh sequence well, the, was of substitutions. The, the one sub was before the half, uh right. because Alcacer's injury and then Azard and uh Hakimi coming in at the half. And it it's it's it was like a completely different Dortmund side showed up in the second half. Yes, I know we had three substitutions, duh. But from even the ones that were on there on the pitch before the energy levels were higher the there was pressing there was intensity there was speed there was directness there was intent in movement and pass it's it's I, and that that's that's the thing that i don't understand how that didn't happen in the first half of not just this match we can go back and and look at a few other ones and then all of a sudden it does work and and at that point, uh, and Dortmund could have gotten a second goal like a minute and a half after the first goal. Um, and at that point, Paderborn weren't completely spent yet. They they still had enough in the tank for Mamba to have a huge opportunity at a fourth goal. Um, where I, I don't get it. I mean, I don't know if 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 you can give me more insight there. That's what I just don't understand. I mean, those players come in, they are high energy, they have a lot to prove, they want to be in the starting eleven, and I think you can make an argument at this point that maybe they should be. Um, you know, that maybe you have to shift things around and no longer worry about Nico Schulz and just put Hakimi at the left back position. Um and keep Pischek at the right back position, who was okay. You know, I mean, not too many players covered themselves with glory uh, in the first half, but he wasn't an issue, uh, in my opinion. So it's just, uh, that's the thing that's so frustrating with this match in particular, because it was night and day, the difference between the two Dortmunds, first half and second half. Yeah, so the good news about Alcacer is that he only got a knock on his knee, which was Probably painful and he couldn't continue, but he won't miss for any extended periods, as far as I know. So I, I guess uh, that's the the one positive here, except from the point obviously that Dortmund grabbed in the end. Um, last, did you did you have the feeling that Dortmund could have won this over uh, the forty five minutes in the second half, or do you think that they didn't do enough? Because if I look at the expected goal scheme, then uh, I think Paderborn still came out victorious there. I mean, 
I don't know how I would have felt watching it live, obviously knowing the result going in when I watched it. Uh, you know, I, I also knew when the goals were going to come. So I, I don't think I can give an, you know, an, an honest assessment on how I viewed it, but I certainly didn't feel like there was, you know, a, a, a battering of uh, great scoring chances on Dortmund's side. And actually, as Matthias alluded to, the, the, the Mamba chance to make it 4-1, uh, that was probably bigger than any chance Dortmund missed outside of their three goals. So uh, I, I think, you know, they, they certainly from, you know, the the way I watched the game and, and what I knew about it beforehand, you know, it, it felt more like Paderborn were possibly a bit hard done by the result as opposed to Dortmund being unlucky to only get one point. I mean, obviously also with, you know, the game flow, I mean, they equalized in what was it, the 93rd minute or so i mean it's it's hard to say that dortmund should have won a game they only equalized you know a minute from the end of stoppage time yeah i i guess you were the wrong person to ask because i i definitely had the feeling um you know 50 minutes 60 minutes into the game that dortmund had a very decent chance to win this but obviously um yeah, there there was then a, a lot of time where they did not create any chances as you would imagine. Just also because Paderborn uh, played very well. Now, um, one aspect that I kind of appreciated um, were how the fans reacted because on the one hand, there was a lot of discontent aired, especially um, while Paderborn celebrated their goals. Uh, I think the Paderborn fans were drowned out by the, by the boost and the whistles. And obviously... Um, you know, uh, the players had already, you know, when when the, with the halftime whistle, they heard a lot. But in the second half, Dortmund fans um, supported their team until the last minute, and uh, straight with the final whistle, um, you heard the boos and whistles again and, and the discontent. But um, I think that was um, very smart by the Dortmund fans because um, there's it doesn't really make sense to boo your team during the game, but then you can still send a message afterwards so i for myself thought that was uh well handled overall by the crowd in the stadium um matthias i know you are a big proponent for booing when you've paid a lot of money for a ticket so how did you see that <laughs> i don't know if i've ever felt that uh just because you spent money on something, you're allowed to abuse people. Um, you know, I, it doesn't I, give I you know, a right. I, I know um, you said that on the, on the Yellow Wall pod. It's somewhere on, on record. No, it's within me. These 300. Me. It's me, Stefan. No, Matthias has said it too. That was yeah, before but it, you but it's, joined. It, it's, it's always my point that if you pay for a ticket and as long as you don't abuse, but, you know, just, you know, boo and jeer and whistle, I think that's perfectly within your right as a as a paying customer and that, at that point. But actually, I also... Uh, when I we uh, watched it real life, I, I thought you know they are going to let them have it in the second half, and obviously, as you said, the the, the opposite was the case. I think uh, just as you just said, I mean uh, the 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 support by the fans uh, throughout the ninety four minutes was great, and then I also think they were perfectly within their rights to let them have it after the final whistle. So I I would agree with uh, your notion that this was like a very very smart uh, reaction by the fans. Well, Matthias, if you and, wanted to say something, then go ahead. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll, I totally 100% agree with you. Um, I feel that the way it was handled this time was really, 
good. I remember, was it uh, the the season before last when they unfurled the banner, you know, you're not a Dortmunda, basically. I don't remember exactly the verbiage, but it was like this banner before the match saying, you know, you know, we're all Dortmunda, Borussen, you're not. That stuff pisses me off because it is, it's just a flat out fact uh in in sports psychology that when a team is at home and they're being jeered by their own fans their internal pressure gets to the point where they don't play as well they don't go oh now i'm now i'm up for it it happens that way if they if a if dortmund is playing in schalke and the Schalke fans are booing the Dortmund players. That's motivational as if you're a, a fan, a player from a outside team, a traveling team. But if it's your own fans, it, it creates inhibitions, uh, because the nervousness goes higher and higher and higher. So the way the, the support went was not just uh valid and rightful uh in the way that they did it and justifiable but it actually proved a point and was helpful because uh you know the booing at the halftime whistle that sent the right message saying this is bullcrap what you guys just did get it together and Dortmund did and the support was high it was loud it was boisterous it was energetic every goal was celebrated it was positive and then the moment the game ended like you said they got an earful as they should, where they said, okay, it was great that you came back, but this was bullshit. This is not acceptable to us. And so I feel like it was handled perfectly by the Dortmund fans in the right moments, acting the right way, because all too often when you just get, it does. I mean, I, I know we all have seen like Germany play and get booed by their own fans because they're not winning 10 nothing or anything like that and that's just not only is that not helpful it actually makes it worse for the players and they'll perform uh, at a lower level because of that yeah what i really uh, <laughs> liked was someone tweeted after the game but that both lost three to three which really summed it up because part of born you know uh, heartbreaking for them to um yeah lose their lead in the what was it 91st minute of stoppage time uh, or in the first minute of stoppage time <laughs> game didn't went uh, didn't go this long luckily um so obviously um this game and this result and this performance uh stoked the rumors that Lucien Favre's future at Borussia Dortmund uh, might be short-lived that uh, he is uh in the hot seat now and uh, obviously on Sunday we had the uh, members assembly and I, I guess then the next day there was the uh, general assembly for the stock owners or, or whatever but uh, at the members assembly Wotzko spoke about um, several points and um, first of all he was talking about the quote-unquote elephant round with uh, Sebastian Kehl, Michael Zorg, Matthias Sammer, and I think Dr. Reinhard Raubel um, was invited as well just to be witness of um, of their uh, highly self-critical analysis or whatever. But um, after a lot of contempl contemplating and deliberating, um, Watzke revealed that uh, they have made one big mistake in the summer and that was not to at a second number nine and he said we are also fully aware that there are arguments against the second striker Bayern Munich also only have one 
there's always the risk that both neutralize each other but the bottom line is we made the wrong assessment is what he said um if you want to read the full speech or not the full speech but 30 minutes of it i i transcribed that on dailyworld.net and it's not behind the paywall so you can access it and then obviously um he sort of implicitly gave Lucien Favre an ultimatum and uh, Lars I want your reaction whether um that's a valid interpretation or not um but he is basically talking about um that many players right now are not in the, in a good form and that last season's difference makers don't present themselves in the best form right now and he said and also it's obvious that the team on the field does not have uh, does not leave the impression of a coherent formation or a stable formation it's on the team and on Lucien Favre and his staff to improve that situation it's also our right right to demand that Lucien You still have our trust, but one thing is also clear. You have been in this football business for a long time, like many of us. At the end of the day, football is defined by results. We wish you, your team and the players all the best to conjure up a turnaround. You have all the support that we can give you. And then basically he continues, you know, saying that we have to show in the next two difficult games at the Camp Nou and at the Olympia Stadion, uh, that they have a change in attitude and, and whatnot. So yada, yada. So do you think that, uh, it's fair for, from me to in basically infer that, that Lucien Favre's, uh, thin at the top, uh, the air is a little getting thinner? Yeah. I mean, there, there's hardly any other way to read the, the words, uh, of Vatskis here. I mean, it's, it, if, if they didn't play in the Champions League, uh you know three days after or four days after the Paderborn game it wouldn't have been a shock if Favre had been sacked straight away or you know the other day obviously uh but you know they don't really have a viable alternative to take over for just you know one or two games uh they don't have like a Hansi Flick at Bayern situation going on at Dortmund which you know we've we've kind of talked about the brain drain With, you know, uh, David Wagner, uh, Daniel Farke, Hannes Wolf, even someone like Daniel Sievert, uh, you know, all leaving within a relatively short amount of time. So uh, I think it's it's fairly fair to say that they are concurrently working towards the Barca and Hertha games and having, you know, behind the scenes, maybe not necessarily talks, but, you know, They they will make contact or will have made contact already with, you know, a, a couple of coaches they deem of potential interest in case, you know, they don't, you know, win both games or play really well against Barca again. And I mean, I would kind of say almost that the Hertha game is more important uh, in, in this equation than the Barca game, I think. Uh, they are playing at Barcelona who currently have Messi, Suarez, Griezmann and, and most of their attacking talent available to them. They have some defensive issues in terms of personnel. But I mean, whenever you go to the house that Lionel Messi hasn't built, but, you know, refurbished over the last 20 uh, or 15 years or whatever, I don't think you can reasonably expect to, you know, come away with a great result necessarily. So a good performance against Barca is probably more important than, you know, just eking out a win somehow. Uh, and then I think the, the big one is at Hertha, a place Dortmund have struggled tremendously in over the last few years, even last season. I think 
you you and Konstantin Stefan didn't you pick it as your match of the season even in the award show uh the the late late winner of Marco Reus from a Jaden Sancho assist I think uh if they were to lose at Hertha who may well uh have fired their own coach and by that point already uh then it's goodbye Lucien and actually it might still be uh that this is going to be his final game unless of course you know you can't fire him after a 5-0 away win in Berlin but I don't have the imaginative powers to think of Dortmund beating anyone 5-0 at this stage. Yeah, neither do I, but uh, this Dortmund team uh, has surprised me in many sort of ways, so why not in a positive way for once? Um, Matthias, do do you agree with that assessment? And if so, um, what do you think will the consequences be? Um <laughs> Uh, you know, if there's one thing that really scares me is when I read the name Michael Skibbe, that, that just, I, I get shudders. So, um, but, but what do you think Dortmund will happen, uh, will do? What, what are the options that are likely to happen, um, in, in terms of coaching decisions right now, if they feel like they have to sack Favre? <laughs> Well, unfortunately, um, I mean, in the last episode, I said if Favre doesn't get 12 points out of the uh, next four matches, he will not be the manager in the Rückrunde. Um, I stick by that. Um, <laughs> and, and obviously, he's not going to get the 12 points now out of the four matches. That's done. That's just not going to happen. Um, I had also said Hertha is the trap game. Uh, apparently, Parabon was the trap game because I, it, right now it's looking like Hertha may be the easier game, uh, especially uh, with Antichovic looking like he may be out, and I I would be shocked, personally, if the next manager at Hertha is not Niko Kovac at this point. Um, but as far as what the options are for Dortmund, uh, you know, he's he's got a two two matches to prove it, um, because it's, it's, it's just, it's not fair But it's what sports is. It's easier to replace the one manager versus 20 players. Uh, and that's the route you just go. Uh, as far as who can replace him, yeah. I mean, Michael Skipper, <laughs> you know, uh, the, fa the failures at Dortmund launched the, – the failures at Dortmund launched his career. You know, and I mean, who's next? Nivio Scala? Thomas Doll? Uh, I mean, all the shit that was there before Jürgen Klopp? Uh, surely not. Um, I mean, can you get a skibber in to maybe not completely screw it up for a couple of weeks until the winter break? Yeah, probably. Yeah, then might as um, well keep Favre though. Yeah, at that point, just keep him and come up with a solution. I mean, the good thing that we do have in, in Germany in the Bundesliga is we have a prolonged winter break and that does give you a chance to to do something at that point in time. Um, uh, it's, it's not quite as bad a situation as it was 24 months ago, uh, when obviously Bosch got sacked and Peter Stuga came in. Um, I still have the, the wonderful dream that Pochettino shows up and <laughs> Dortmund, uh, but it's a pipe dream. I said, it's very unrealistic. 
uh, last time. I think he's going to be in a big, big, big club, um, you know, in terms of like a Real Madrid big or Manchester United big um, versus Dortmund. But uh, hey, you know, die Hoffnung stirbt zuletzt, as we say in German, you know, hope dies last. Uh, so you, you never know. You never know. But it's It'll, it'll just be interesting to see how next summer plays out. Cause I don't think Favre is going to be around for a third season in Dortmund. I think that's pretty much done and dusted at this point. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, Skiba or Favre, the problem is with Lucien Favre, he may just not want to. I mean, he showed that at Gladbach, he just walked away. And so he may just be like, screw it. I don't want to. And if he doesn't want to, what's the point at that point? And then you're stuck with, I, I mean, I'd almost rather have Terzic stand in there than Michael Skibbe, just because Michael Skibbe, I mean, he's, that's trauma. That's past Dortmund, uh, ghosts of Dortmund, past trauma. And, uh, we don't, any, any of us want to see that. I mean, Zivac. Especially, especially for Michael Sorg, because if you remember in these times, he was under high criticism. Really, of course, because yeah. he was still basically a rookie sporting director. Um, he was still very young in his role and hadn't grown into it yet at that point. And you combine that with all the other crap that was going on at Dortmund behind the scenes. Um, I, I mean, in, in a situation like that, you may even look at a, a name that uh, last mentioned in Zivat. I mean, I don't think he's taken a job since he got the sack at Huddersfield. So I'd rather see him in there. At this point, even if it's just at a caretaker level. Um, but, uh, I absolutely agree with, with what you had last said that, uh, you know, Vatska very clearly publicly, which is unique. You don't usually get that kind of a public, um, statement in terms of, dude, you got two matches to get this right or you're out. And it's not necessarily that the results have to be right. The performance has to be right too. And, um, The, the advantage you have with Barcelona is even though it's Barcelona and they're really good, there too, things aren't great. Um, and there's a lot of pressure building up on Ernesto Valverde there as well. So, and then you've got Chovic's situation with Hata. So these are two matches that Dortmund could absolutely come out on top, play well, get great results and everything like that. But obviously, um, there's some pressure at Dortmund as well. Maybe I'd say a little bit less. Than it with Chovic and Valverde, but not far behind them. And so uh, that could also gloriously implode. All right. So before we delve into the uh, Barca preview, which we've sort of already started last, um, can you quickly a, speculate about who could be a potential replacement for Lucien Favre? And uh, since that is uh, all fun, you can continue and talk about a potential winter signing for the striker position. If Dortmund pursue that, I'm not sure if they just say, okay, we, we screwed up, but we are not going to do anything about it until the summer. I'm not sure, but uh, please be my guest. Well, uh, I was fairly convinced that if Favre was going to get the sack, uh, Hans-Joachim Watzke would fulfill his not lifelong, but you know, half-decade-long dream of uh, Hannes Wolf being the first team manager at Dortmund because he absolutely loves the guy. But uh, Hannes Wolf took up a job in Belgium for reasons entirely unbeknownst to me, outside of money, obviously. I think he's at uh, KRC Genk uh, 
but you know i don't i'm not a huge follower of the Jupiler league in belgium so that might be wrong anyway do um, you drink it though no um so i i was pretty certain that he was going to be the guy to get the job perhaps until the summer and then let's reevaluate the situation so that's out of the picture so uh unless they get you know the caretaker type in Skibble or whomever uh i mean uh, zivot at least he has the correct license i mean that's something you need to look at you can't just appoint let's say Sebastian Kiel because he's close to the team because you know Kiel doesn't have the Fußballlehrer the I think in, in England for example would be the Elite A or Elite Europe or whatever license so um, you know that's something to consider so unless it's a caretaker situation I think the name that jumps out to me in terms of availability and potential fit at Dortmund in terms of the football Fans probably would like to see, even though, you know, the guy is not particularly well liked in these parts and basically all of the Bundesliga is Roger Schmidt, uh, formerly of uh, Paderborn, Salzburg and Leverkusen um, and Beijing, I think, in China, where he was sacked in like August or September. So he is currently available for both talks and you know ultimately a job uh, he has Bundesliga experience he got Leverkusen into European competitions on a regular basis uh, he gave Dortmund some pretty decent fights I would say especially back in the Klopp days I think in the in the final few seasons of Klopp against Leverkusen those were always terrible to watch but you know highly intensive games uh, and obviously he has that Salzburg slash Leipzig, um, you know, in his past. So it's it's a playing style that is predicated on a lot of intense runs, high pressing, counter attacks, uh, gegen pressing attacks. So you know the kind of active, proactive, intense football that Dortmund just haven't played for quite some time now. So I think that's that's a fit that I can see as somewhat natural, even though I don't think this is natural necessarily a squad that you know can play Leipzig football. But you know, if you add some of that intensity to Dortmund's high quality, I think that's something that could work. So I think he's my prediction for getting the job now, perhaps on like an an eighteen month contract, so nothing too outrageous. Um, the second question was about a striker right um i mean the 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 name everybody on everybody's lips is mario manchukic of juventus because you know he's not in juventus's plans anymore and uh obviously he's been mentioned about dortmund uh for a couple of years now i think there is a legit uh claim to be made that matthias Sommer might push for him because they know each other from bayern days and Reportedly, Zama really, really likes him as a player and perhaps as a person as well. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to speculate on that <laughs> part because, uh, I mean, I think Manchukic is the kind of player you only like when he plays for your team because he's kind of a dick. But, you know, dicks on your team, that's something people can get behind. So uh, I, the problem with him might be wages. Uh, he's on a pretty high contract at Juventus after playing for a lot of big clubs in Europe and with Bayern and Atletico. 
so uh, he might be out of their range and also he has been mentioned at Manchester United quite a bit over the last few weeks and months so uh, I don't know if they could compete with that so I think the other obvious name from outside the Bundesliga is Olivier Giroud we basically know they wanted to sign him when Aubameyang left for Arsenal he chose to stay in London back then and then moved to uh, Chelsea where he's basically just the Europa League striker at this point I think uh, he's not really playing any major role in the Premier League after Tammy Abraham uh, exploded onto the scene really at the first team of Chelsea so you would think that he's going to be available again he has the Euros coming up I mean he still leads the line for France and if he wants it to stay that way it wouldn't hurt to you know actually play meaningful games in the second half of the season uh, he's a really good fit for the rest of Dortmund's team because he's so great in the hold-up uh, department of striking play uh, he offers a different element to Alcázar that you know you 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 wouldn't think that they'd stand on each other's feet you know for you know the the the, the 30 minutes when the second striker gets subbed in while chasing a game or whatever the the exact situation is so uh if i had to predict two things coach and striker i would say Roger Schmidt and Olivier Giroud all right interesting Matthias, do you have such a prediction too you know, I'll be honest, I totally forgot about Holger Schmidt. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, uh, last mentioning him, I'll be honest, uh, I, I unfortunately completely agree that that's a very feasible, um, alternative. Uh, you definitely get more pressing. And as far as Majukic or Giroud, I'd rather have Majukic. Um, because who, like, like I said, who doesn't like a dick in your team? Um, don't, that's, that's a really bad quote for the episode, but, um, uh, yeah, I think that's, uh, that's a very astute prediction that I will complete, I will endorse Las Polman's prediction for a new manager and striker for Borussia Dortmund. Well, you know, <laughs> Hans-Joachim Watzke, in the, in the true Western and Westphalian fashion, had to to make a reference to uh, telling the the team basically to cheer up by quoting Martin Luther and saying, a happy fart never comes from a miserable ass. So, um, you know, which begs the question why they all play like ass clowns. But uh, that's besides the point. So um, I, I appreciate some humor in here. And I, I think I also endorsed the last Pullman prediction of the year. So, um, yeah. I, I guess we can move on now to the Champions League clash. Um, Dortmund, I guess, needs a point or something um, to pretty much seal their qualification. Um, notwithstanding the uh, very tough home game against Slavia Prague. But, uh, you know, that is a must win. But saying that and thinking about the Paderborn match, uh, you know, a must win doesn't mean a win. So, um, anywho... Um, a lot of people have waited for Dortmund to travel to the Camp Nou. Um, now that it's happening, um, I feel a bit underwhelmed because of uh, the team Dortmund have and the, the coach and how, how um, you know, not exciting it is as it might have been four or five years ago. But uh, either way, here we are. Lars, is this a game you are personally looking forward to or... Uh 
or does it not excite you at all right now because of other circumstances? Uh, to be honest, I hate late kickoffs now that I'm getting older. I mean, having to get up uh, multiple times a week uh, at like five o'clock in the morning, I don't necessarily... There's, a, there's a cheat code though. You can just move to a different time zone. <laughs> yeah, I guess I just have to find myself uh, an American wife like you did. Um, no, the, the so I don't really appreciate, you know, <clears throat> uh, games lasting until like 11 p.m. And then obviously if it's Champions League, it's also full of, you know, uh, I, I'm not going to say anxiety, but, you know, I, I think you understand what I'm trying to say. Like, it, it's not like the final whistle, uh, you brush your teeth and you're asleep after 10 minutes. Like the, the game lingers in your mind, even if it's like a boring goalless draw. I mean, it's still... So, some might actually call it excitement instead of anxiety. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, 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 that depends on the situation going into the game, I guess, but... I mean, it's the Champions League. There are only so many games of of uh, this kind during a season, especially for you know a club like Dortmund, for whom you know, making it to like the quarterfinals has to be considered a massive success. So, uh, if if this game would would take place on a Saturday afternoon, uh, I'd probably be much more thrilled than I am now. But obviously, also the situation of Dortmund. And a little bit of Barca as well. I mean, this is certainly nothing compared to the perhaps greatest club side of all time under Pep Guardiola. Uh, there's certainly an element of, I think we talked about this in before, before the preview of the first matchup with Barcelona that this, there's an element of this game coming too late, as you mentioned before. Like we were robbed of the clash of ideas with. Klopp and Pep at Dortmund and Barca, and now we are getting Fafa and Valverde. I mean, I'm I'm not necessarily the right guy to get hyped up for any game, but <laughs> but I I think most people will find it hard un unless they are traveling to Barcelona uh, for the game themselves. Yeah, fair fair enough. So um, I guess the uh, first name on the team sheet for Dortmund will be Acha Fakimi because uh, I think he has scored four out of five goals for Dortmund in the Champions League, um, which is eighty percent of the contribution. Uh, so not 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 great, but um, here we are. Dortmund are uh, second behind Barcelona in Group F with seven points, and third place Inter have four points. So. Um, A loss for Dortmund wouldn't be too terrible, but then uh, Dortmund will have to hope that Barcelona also don't lose on the, on the final match day at uh, the San Siro. So um, obviously a point would be appreciated. Um, Matthias, so which Dortmund side will we see? Because um, if I remember correctly, um, the uh, first leg, if you will, was one of the better performances this season from Dortmund, um, warranted that Lionel Messi only came on after, I think, 60 minutes or so, or 70 minutes, and then, uh, yeah, didn't take, didn't, yeah, didn't really change too many things because he came off a long injury and wasn't really in form. I presume this has changed now a tiny bit, so we will see an entirely different Barcelona outfit. Lars already mentioned uh, who is fit, and obviously you can add Usman Dembele to that because uh, he is fit now as well. So um, this Barcelona team will be an entirely different monster. So what do you expect? 
Well, we can't forget, first of all, that Barcelona are playing with a makeshift defense. Um, you know, Pique is suspended, uh, and, and I think there are, but their defense isn't necessarily their strength anyway. I'd probably say it's one of the greatest weaknesses of this Barcelona side. Well, um, I know another where uh, I would have said top heavy team, but I remember Dortmund went without a shot on target over three halves against Munich and Paderborn. So I'll refrain from that comment. Well, but it's different. You know, I mean, uh, you won't expect Barcelona to sit deep. Um, they'll, they'll be on the front foot. Uh, Dortmund will probably be the deeper setting side to cede possession to Barcelona, willingly or unwillingly. Uh, but I think in this case, it'll be willingly. I do agree with Hakimi being the first name on the team sheet, not just because of his goal scoring prowess, but he's also a little bit more fresh. And you can't forget he is a Real Madrid player. And uh, will probably be suitably motivated to take on Barcelona. Um, and as such, I think uh, that'll be the, the lessons learned from Parapon in Munich, I think, will not be lost on Lucien Favre. Um, and, and as such, I don't necessarily foresee uh, a, a, another appearance of Mahmoud Dahoud or Weigel as a central defender. I think we'll probably see Witzel Weigel and then, um, you know, hopefully Mario Götze. I think that would be exactly what this side needs. Lars, I, I refer this to you while pointing out that I very much agree in the hope that I do also hope Weigel, Witzel start and then you have Akanji and Hummels as center back pairing, but, um, Last, do you think there is space for Mario Götze? Because I just read that Paco Alcázar will miss this game. He's out injured. So who should play up front? Would it be Royce? Would it be Götze? Um, would you play Julian Brandt as a number 10? Or how would you set this up against Barcelona? Would you stick to the 4-2-3-1? Or would you play a 4-3-3, 4-1-4-1? What are your thoughts? Well, uh, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> if you if you ask me, I mean, Götze would probably be my first name on the team sheet uh, in most of these games, just because I think he's probably the most football intelligent player in Dortmund's side outside of perhaps uh, Mats Hummels. But you know, he's a centre back. He's obviously playing, so I mean, it doesn't matter who's the first uh, name on the team sheet. I think Götze would be among my regular starters with Alcázar sprinkled in whenever he's healthy, which you know is. Not often the case, for, unfortunately. So great. Now I want soft serve because you named sprinkles. Anyway, continue. Obviously, Mario Götze would start in my uh, eleven against Barca. But uh, going by what Favre has done over the last few weeks and months, I I feel like uh, the the most likely option will be Julian Brandt up front, which you know. Ends up with yes, ugh, him not actually being up front, but rather him and Royce kind of taking up similar spaces, which is fine if they are playing in a four-one-four-one because there's still someone up front to play off of and make runs off, and someone to uh, you know take out defenders by uh, if using evasive movements and whatnot, which is something Alcázar does so well and Götze can do well as well. But you know, uh, I think it's going to end up. Uh, in a kind of alignment where there's no real presence up front, which has been a huge issue and is actually one of the main reasons why Ashraf Hakimi can lead Dortmund in scoring this season because 
they just didn't have anyone occupying the box, for example, for basically the entirety of that Slavia game. So his <laughs> his dashing runs were the only way Dortmund could score goals. And, you know, it just so happens that he contributed uh, in that major way. So... Uh, I, I think anything other than 4-2-3-1 would be unlikely and perhaps even unwise. I mean, even if the 4-1-4-1 worked really well against Paderborn in the second half, I don't think we can necessarily equate Paderborn to uh, Barcelona, even though Dortmund made them look like it for, you know, <laughs> some some moments in the first half. So I think the smart money would be on Akanji coming back, Weigel moving into midfield uh, and Unfortunately, Brand up front. Well, yeah, so the semi-smart money, because that's uh, Brand up front just doesn't make any freaking sense to me. So um, can't do, but, you know, um, I I think I think we can knock it on the head here, really, un unless uh, any one of you want to discuss uh, the fullback positions and whether to play Guerrero or Nico Schulz, then please be my guest. I don't hear any enthusiasm, so I conclude no one wants to really talk about that. Does anyone want to point out anything about Barcelona, or uh, is it pretty much clear how they play and who they are? I think that's, for the most part, pretty much clear uh, at this point under Valverde and, and the players that they have at their disposal. It'll be a little bit interesting to see how they form their back line, but that's not really going to be the biggest issue for Dortmund. Dortmund's biggest issue is going to be winning battles in central midfield and uh, stopping Barcelona from getting high percentage chances at goal. Um, I think if if those issues are solved for Dortmund, then breaking down the makeshift defense for Barcelona is is really of tertiary concern. All right, last then uh, I will solicit a prediction now. Um, my prediction is I'm going to have fun watching Lionel Messi, uh, which is basically a good way to spend Wednesday evenings. So uh, I'm going with not too bad a Dortmund performance in a... Uh, 2-0 defeat. All right, Matthias. Oh, jeez. Um, uh, you know, not 3-3, three, three, not 5-1. Um, <laughs> I think, God, you know, it's, it's technically the kind of match that Dalton would, would really show up for. Um, but, um, I'm going to go for, Unfortunately, also a Dortmund loss um, in a probably entertaining 2-1 situation. All right, so um, here's my prediction. I think that Dortmund will lose this game 4-1. Um, I think they will be absolutely obliterated by Barcelona when Barcelona play some more possession football and suffocate Dortmund in their own uh, penalty area. And we all know once Dortmund are sort of uh, swimming and, and sitting deep that they do not uh, come up with the best defensive schemes and I feel and I fear that uh, them being suffocated for uh, extended periods of time leads to goals and then to the eventual collapse that we have seen so often. So while I do harbor the hopes as you do Matthias that this is a performance and a game where Dortmund show up especially after that members assembly and that stern talking to and fans booing and everything and uh, 
the ultimatum for Favre and, and whatnot, I, I still think that, uh, this team, uh, can change this dramatically overnight. And when Barcelona play their way, that uh, it's not going to be pretty for Dortmund, who are just very bad when put on the back foot. So for the one for Barca is my prediction. Anyway, so, uh, that concludes the Yellow Wallpot episode for. I don't want to say this week because we still have to preview that Hertha game later on. Um, but, um, yeah, for, for now, I think we have talked enough about Borussia Dortmund and I'm pretty sure there will be plenty of talking points coming out of next Barcelona game on Wednesday night. Um, to the dread of last even 15 minutes later than a couple of years ago. So a 9 p.m. kickoff in Germany or I don't know what the uh, time difference to Spain is. Anyway, um, thanks again, you two, for coming on. Lars, how can people get in touch with you slash read your work? Well, in order to read my work, they would need to speak German, which I'm not sure we can assume most listeners do. But, you know, if you can speak German, you will find links to select few of my articles uh, on my Twitter page, which is at Lars Polman. I will note that it will suffice if you can read German. So um, anyway, Matthias, how can get people in touch with you? Uh, people get in touch with me via Twitter at Matthias Suk. And yes. hopefully we're all three completely wrong about the Barcelona prediction. Sure. Uh, <laughs> you can find me at Stefan Butzko on Twitter. You can find The Yellow Wall on Facebook and Twitter at Yellow Wallpot. So Twitter handle to find our written content. Please go to theyellowwall.net where you will find the various means to subscribe to our Patreon and uh, pledge one buck a month to read all the written content, which is behind the yellow yellow paywall. And uh, obviously, please subscribe to our show in various ways, be it SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, YouTube, etc. So, and of course, if you want to help us uh, without pledging any money or sponsoring an episode, um, just go to iTunes, leave us a rating. That also helps to amplify the, uh, yeah, I guess visibility. So please do that. And, uh, if you want to, I don't know, shoot us a comment or whatever, an email, please use yellowwarepod at gmail.com. That's uh, where I see it the fastest. So, um, anyway, as always, everyone out there, thank you all for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>